0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome Welcome to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts.
1: And can I be one of the first to say to you, happy weekend? Happy weekend. It's going to be a long weekend with the 4th of July on Tuesday. It's also going to be a long weekend for just about anybody who's looking to travel. It's not going to be fun. And... We're in such a hyper-partisan, politicized environment that naturally all the ire for the woes in our travel industry are landing at the feet of politicians. Okay, it comes with a job. And I think, by and large, a lot of those politicians understand that. First, I want to look at the data for this weekend's travel because it's immense. Uh, reporting that they project record-breaking travel volumes for this holiday weekend. 43 million Americans projected to be on the roads. Another 4.2 million flying. More than 3.3 million by bus, cruise, or train. That's a lot of people on the road all at once, or in the airports, or your seaports, Or your bus station or Amtrak. Well, there's not a whole lot of Amtrak to choose from. I told, maybe I didn't. I took this trip once when I was in college. I don't know if I've said this on the show before or not. I took this trip once in college. Some of my roommates were working at a resort in St. Mary, Montana, I believe. Somewhere in the Glacier Park area. Stunning up there. If you've never been to Montana, take the trip. The train ride is tough. It took me three days just to get there by train. Three days. You can fly in a few hours. You can see the open road and get there in probably three days, maybe less than three days, but take your time. You know, if you're going to go that far, you obviously want to. The problem with rail travel is if I want to go now by rail from Atlanta to Montana, the reason it takes three days is, well, pull up an Amtrak map. You'll see for yourself. There's no way to get from here to St. Louis. There's no way to get from St. Louis to Laramie. There's no way to get from Laramie to Helena. Helena to Seattle. There's no way to do that. By rail, if you want to go to Montana, for example, or Seattle from Atlanta, you have to go. Well, to Seattle, you can go several routes. Uh, you, You can go completely down to New Orleans, and then over into Texas, and out to California, and then up the coast. That'll take you about three, four days, too. The route that I took to get to Montana was Atlanta through D.C. to Philadelphia, off at Philadelphia, had a few hours to kill in Philadelphia. This is back in college, so it's all very much a dusty memory, but I do remember at a few hours of a stopover in Philadelphia, and then got on another train that took me to Chicago and got off at Chicago, had a few hours to kill there, got on another train that took me from Chicago through Milwaukee and the Dakotas out to Montana. That all took me three days to get there. And listen, in college, it was a lot of fun. Like, I I traveled by myself. Uh, I had a few books, and that's it. And this is the 1990s. We didn't have Wi-Fi. (laughs) We didn't have cell phones. Did we have cell phones? We may have had cell phones, but, you know, nothing nothing of quality. We didn't have iPhones, that's for sure, with internet capabilities or text messaging. Um, we didn't have DVD players even. We were at the mercy of whatever Amtrak had coming off those TVs in the corner that were box TVs in the compartment. There was nothing to watch, nothing. So I read a lot of books and magazines and made conversations with strangers. It's a fun way to travel. It's really a fun way to travel, but it's also kind of a beating. I mean, three days, three days without an extensive rail network in this country, and I argue, I would argue seriously that if this country had a more extensive rail network and high speed rail in certain corridors, that more of us would probably be taking high speed rail or the rail system. Period to take our vacations, but we don't do that. That's not how we're wired in this country, right? It's not. It's just not how we're wired in this country. We either want to get there quick, go to the airport, or we want control of the narrative, the route ourselves, so we go by car. Those are the two leading methods of travel in this country. And I happen to think there's a reason for that. And it's not It's not just because, well, you know, we're Americans. This is how we, we're independent. First of all, we've been hyper-marketed to, almost since the advent of the Model T, to own our own vehicle. We've invested heavily, heavily, in our highway system. Famously, the Eisenhower Interstate System, which was, at the time, an innovation that only the Germans, who basically Dwight Eisenhower cheated off of, he cheated off their papers a little bit. He saw this. Oh, we want this. Let's get this back in America too. It, it inspired him, and we continue to invest heavily in our interstate system. Although some could argue not enough, or some could argue sure, but at at the at the peril of. Neighborhoods of color and major cities, not even major cities, many cities. I lived in tiny little, well, not tiny, but somewhat tiny little Alexandria, Louisiana. And the interstate that rolls through Alexandria, yep, went right through a black neighborhood. That happened in a lot of cities. Of course, it happened in Atlanta. Gutted sweet Auburn. So, yeah, we invest heavily in our interstate system. We have subsidized many times the airline industry. How many times have we bailed out airlines? Just in the last 10 years, 12, 15 years. We love to bail out the airline industry because we depend on it. Well, why do we depend on it? And why are we so heavily invested in our interstate system? And and why, despite the fact that our federal and state governments know that we have these airport delays, That we have clogged traffic, that we have hazy, and not just because of Canadian wildfires, we have hazy air quality, which, and actually the Canadian wildfires you can attribute to climate change, which can be fed by our addiction to burning fossil fuels. Trains don't need quite as much of that to power itself. And it's my belief that that is why we don't have an extensive rail network. Because we don't have the might of the fossil fuel industry to push for it. See, in most of Amtrak's corridors, or should I say its most used corridors, Amtrak uses what is called a catenary system, an overhead wiring system that delivers electrical power to the trains, allowing them to move quickly up and down said corridors. Now we could make this argument that, well, somewhere down the line, the electric grid is being dependent on fossil. And maybe, maybe that is the case. Perhaps that is the case, but it's not direct. And, if we had a more extensive rail network in this country and more of us were using it to travel for vacations or for business, if there was a, a network of rail lines from, say, just south of Chattanooga at the state line, Augusta, in from Athens, we used to have that, Macon, Columbus, just, just some rail lines from those, those spots— into Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, how many folks wouldn't be on the road to catch a flight into Atlanta? Lots. I mean, there are airport shuttle services in the cities I just mentioned. You literally get on a small bus or a van to be brought here by a fossil fuel-dependent vehicle, but those businesses exist because the need exists, right? And if the need didn't exist, those businesses wouldn't exist. So it tells you right there, There is a need. We just haven't answered that need. Florida, of all places, is embracing high-speed rail. If you haven't, just Google Brightline Florida and be marveled at what's happening there. I've used Brightline several times. You can fly cheaply, by the way, on Spirit Airlines from Atlanta to Fort Lauderdale, I believe it is. And if you are going to go see people in Miami, you can take the Bright Line from Fort Lauderdale to Miami. And back. And up to West Palm. And soon from West Palm to Canaveral. And then Orlando. Orlando and then Tampa. And I think eventually Tampa to Tallahassee. How cool is that? That is cool as hell. And by the way, it's pretty cheap. I want to say it's like 28 to $35 depending on uh, the day of the week or how, I, but that's still pretty cheap to crisscross the state of Florida if you sought to. We don't have that in Georgia. We don't have that in many states. And when you hit the road this weekend and you hit the gridlock, or if you're at the airport and your flight gets delayed or canceled or rescheduled or overbooked, blah, 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 blah. Think about the conversation I'm having with you right now. The fact that we don't have a viable other option. We've wedged ourselves as Americans into this scenario where we're wedged into options that we're not even happy with anymore. Think about it. When you're on the road, you're driving, is the driver actually usually very happy? No. They got to deal with the traffic. They got to deal with the idiot that doesn't go the speed that they were going before that idiot pulled in front of them. And then, you know, there's the getting over and then there's the dealing with the 18 wheeler. It's just not a fun way to travel. And then the airlines, you got to deal with TSA. You got to deal with cramped conditions and uncomfortable waiting areas and layovers, and if the weather, well, trains aren't usually affected by the weather either. I'm just saying, we haven't had a healthy discussion about investing in a better passenger rail network in this country, and we're long, long overdue for it. So when you're traveling this weekend, if you decide to travel this weekend, have a conversation with some of the other adults around you. Boy, how much easier would this trip be if we had a train? And see how many might say, oh gosh, yeah, this would be a breeze. More on Show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show for the weekend. First, a little housekeeping. You're listening to this show on the America One Radio app or at Radio.com on a Lovely Friday afternoon, heading into the 4th of July weekend. You're not going to get word from me about the Supreme Court's decision on Biden's student loan forgiveness program. And there's a reason for that. It's because today's show is banked. Like I'm working on this at 9 a.m. on Friday uh, because I'm uh, taking a trip. In fact, I'm there now. (laughs) So weird to say that. I'm there now in Augusta, uh, appearing on a uh, right wing radio talk show. That would be AM580 WGAC, which I believe you can pick up on iHeartRadio. No, I know you can, iHeartRadio. If you'd like to listen to that, feel free, go for it. Um, I'll be on for the next uh, half an hour, 45 minutes or so. And uh, I was invited to be on for the entire show. So I spent three hours uh, with uh, a former, well, I say not former. We never worked together, actually. Austin Rhodes uh, and I have never worked together, now that I think about it. But uh, we both worked in the Augusta Radio Market simultaneously. I grew up there. We know a lot about Augusta, the two of us. And we've always sort of locked horns when it comes to uh, political issues. But I think we have a mutual respect for each other in some way, shape, form, or fashion. We disagree a lot. We argue a lot. Um, He takes issue with the fact that I like to call him out for omitting facts. I... I think sometimes omitting facts on purpose isn't to tell the truth. He and I had a a, a big, mm, we weren't speaking to each other, because he he thought I was calling him a liar. And when you're going to, are you calling me a liar? I'm just telling you, you're not telling the whole story. You're not telling the truth. Sometimes if you're not telling the whole story, you aren't telling the truth. If you think that makes you a liar, mm, but to willfully not give all the facts to portray a different picture than what is actual is at least not telling the truth. Anyway, uh, you know, I'm not going to rehash that here. Uh, so that's why you don't have the latest news uh, on the uh, Biden student loan forgiveness. However, I'll uh, I'll update Twitter Ron Show ATL, and uh, you can keep up with that there. What else? Uh, there's also, by the way, we saw that there, there was another defacing of the Atlanta church. Uh, we spoke to Pastor Mimi Walker from the church at uh, Ponce and Highland. Again, their pride flag vandalized and their sign uh, spray painted with the word demon. I believe by now, and I haven't driven by that, but I believe by now that that's been cleaned up. But still, we're seeing as. This is the end of Pride Month. We're seeing uh, the lashing out of irrational monsters. Yeah, I'm going to call it that. Irrational monsters. And that's what they are. Um, Dylan Mulvaney, speaking of, while we're on LGBTQ plus subjects, Dylan Mulvaney sort of lashed out now at Anheuser-Busch. Let me give you some audio of that.
2: One thing I will not tolerate people saying about me is that I don't like beer because I love beer and I always have. Um, I built my platform on being honest with you and what I'm about to tell you might sound like old news, but you know that feeling when you have something uncomfy like sitting on your chest? Well, that's how I feel right now, so this feels like the right thing to do. I took a brand deal with a company that I loved and I posted a sponsored video to my page And it must have been a slow news week because the way that this ad got blown up you would have thought i was like on a billboard or on a tv commercial or something major but no it was just an instagram video Mm -hmm. and the wildest part is that they also sent me one can with my face on it you might have seen it and funny story i had the can around my house but then i realized wait i need to protect this can so i hid it somewhere and now I can't find it because I hit it so well. But when I do find it, I feel like it needs to go in a museum, preferably behind bulletproof glass. <laughs> and you might be thinking, Dylan, why bring it up now? I, I'm bringing it up because what transpired from that video was more bullying and transphobia than I could have ever imagined. Mm-hmm. And I should have made this video months ago, but I didn't. And I was scared, and, and I was scared of more backlash, and, and I felt personally guilty for what transpired. So I patiently waited for things to get better. But surprise, they haven't really. And, and I was waiting for the brand to reach out to me, but they never did. And for months now, I've been scared to leave my house. I have been ridiculed in public. I've been followed. And I have felt a loneliness that I wouldn't wish on anyone. And I'm not telling you this because I want your pity. I am telling you this because if this is my experience from a very privileged perspective, know that it is much, much worse for other trans people. Exactly. For a company to hire a trans person and then not publicly stand by them is worse in my opinion than not hiring a trans person at all because it gives customers permission to be as transphobic and hateful as they want. And, and the hate doesn't end with me. It has serious and grave consequences for the rest of our community. And, and you know, we're customers, too. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of trans and queer people who love beer. Yeah. And I have some lesbian friends who could drink some of those haters under the table. <laughs> but to turn a blind eye and pretend everything is okay, it just isn't an option right now. Right. And, and you might say, but Dylan, I, I don't want to get political. Babe! Babe! supporting trans people. It shouldn't be political. Bingo. There should be nothing controversial or divisive about working with us. And and I know it's possible because I've worked with some fantastic companies who care. But, but caring about the LGBTQ plus community requires a lot more than just a donation somewhere during Pride Month. Right. And all this to say, bottom line, is that if you follow me, if I've made you smile, if you care about me, I need you to care about every trans person. And I need you to support us, and I need you to stand by us. And and hey, it's still Pride Month, so um, I'm gonna celebrate being alive, and I'm gonna celebrate the trans people in my life and the ones I haven't met yet. And I'm going to celebrate the fact that no matter how many thousands of horrible messages or news anchors misgendering me, or companies going silent, that I can look in the mirror and see the woman that I am and that I love being and and I know you are probably here for the tea of it all um, but I would love for something productive to come from this so there is a link in my bio to the Trans Law Center who is doing some wonderful work if you have the means to donate and to the good people out there I love ya I really do and um, cheers but only if you're of legal drinking age okay I love you.
1: bye She's absolutely right. If you think it's rough for her, imagine what it's like for those who don't have the platform she does and the base of support that she does. And that's sort of the point all along. Anheuser-Busch did release a statement, by the way. It was akin to All Lives Matter. Uh, I'll share that and uh, her video and the link in our show notes today at ronshowatl.com. Back after this.
0: Archived audio, blogs, social media, links, and more all
1: in one place. Log on at ronshowatl.com.
0: The Ron Show on America One Radio.
1: So Governor J.B. Pritzker from Illinois could be something of a rising star in the Democratic Party. He gave a speech a couple weeks ago, commencement speech at Northwestern University that is just now starting to get some viral traction and maybe raising his profile. I decided Since I'm on the road today, a lot of Americans, uh, I would spend a good deal of my show sharing that commencement speech, where he uses a lot of quotes from the sitcom The Office. I freely admit I never watch that show, but I'm sure some of it's funny. Um, But he also talks about the need for young people to develop their own idiot detection system. He's not wrong. Take a listen to J.B. Pritzker speaking to the graduates at Northwestern University.
0: Today, graduates, I want to invoke a seminal piece of 21st century culture to help send you forward on the right path in life. I am, of course, talking about the Emmy Award-winning sitcom known as The Office, which in its 200-episode run gave us all the wisdom that you need to make your way in this world. Now, look, the younger members of my staff made it clear to me that your generation might consider the office to be sort of choogy, which I learned is a pejorative term, meaning uncool or you're just trying too hard. Well, that's fine, I don't care, I'm a dad. By definition, dads are choogy. We try too hard every day, mostly to get our kids to turn off the lights when they leave a room, We don't care if you don't think that we're cool. We are determined to plunge ahead anyway. So give me and The Office a chance to show you that non-trendy things still have a, a lot of wisdom to offer. You don't have to be a fan of the show, by the way, to follow along because quotes from The Office stand on their own in their uncommon wisdom and depth. I'll offer you the first one now. PowerPoints are the peacocks of the business world, all show no meat. (laughs) Dwight Schrute. Before I was the governor of Illinois, I ran a technology-focused investment firm. And in the early years of the internet, I used to take at least three meetings a day with young entrepreneurs who would present their ideas for online retail businesses. Every young retail entrepreneur in the world wanted to copy Amazon's success. But frankly, they had to answer the magic question. How are you going to attract millions of customers without spending all your money on advertising? So one guy came to me with what he thought was the perfect answer. He started the Hay Company. Hay spelled H-E-Y. The guy told me that he had registered hundreds of domain names that all started with the term, the word hey, like heybooks.com, heytshirts.com, heywaterbottles.com, hundreds of them. His idea was that people would be browsing online and they would think to themselves, hey, I need some shorts. And that naturally would lead them to type into their browser, HeyShorts.com. And bam, you'd find what they needed on his websites. It was brilliant, except for the fact that no one shops by first saying, Hey, shorts or Hey underwear, but he had a fancy PowerPoint. And one of his slides had financial projections that showed his company was going to be bigger than Amazon. It was not. Here's the thing that I remember most. The hay guy handed out his business plan in an expensive mahogany box and gave a great presentation. I give him credit that after a few months in business, he realized he wasn't going to make it and he closed up shop. He was at least honest with himself and with his investors. But sometimes when I see a news story about a company like Theranos or WeWork where a charismatic CEO has a clever pitch that fools a lot of intelligent people into investing their money, or when politicians give flashy pitches and catchy slogans, I think about Dwight Schrute's lesson for life. So ask questions. Demand answers. Do your own research. Trust people with a lot of life experience. Be skeptical. Having a baby is exhausting. Having two babies, that's just mean. Jim Halpert. (laughs) I mentioned already that I'm a dad and I I have two wonderful college-age kids. And like most of the parents here, having children turned me from a fun, cool, spontaneous person who could stay out past midnight to a functional madman who answers the phone yellow (laughs) and and won't let anyone in my house touch the thermostat. (laughs) We dads didn't start out chuggy. You made us that way. (laughs) Look, we parents, we love our kids. We want you to grow up to be strong and kind, brave and smart, and we will do just about anything to make sure that that happens. But along the way, you have led a campaign of collective inception to make us question the very fabric of reality at times. If you really want to understand the multiverse of madness, have children. When my son Donnie was in kindergarten, my wife MK and I went to school for a parent-teacher conference. The teacher told us that Donnie was doing well in school, great at reading, great at math. But when she asked Donnie if he was struggling with anything, he said he couldn't tell time very well. Like all parents whose love of their child has led them to overthink every single decision that they've made, MK and I were flabbergasted. Did we do something wrong? Had we missed some critical step in our son's early childhood development? Had our embrace of the digital age led to a child who had some sort of clock face blindness? So we sprang into action. We bought all kinds of clocks and put them everywhere at our house. We made a big show of telling time at meals and reading clocks everywhere we went. We got Donnie an analog clock that lit up and spoke the time out loud when asked. For an entire year, I walked around like the Mad Hatter, constantly proclaiming the time. Donnie, it's 710, see, it's 710. After 12 months of this insanity, just when MK and I were starting to congratulate ourselves for doing such a good job focusing on the time-telling problem, Donnie decided to let us know that he had never had an issue telling time. (laughs) It was just that when his teacher asked him to identify something that he needed help with, he couldn't think of anything to say, so he made up a story about not being able to tell time. (laughs) And then he didn't want to admit that he had lied. If you think your parents are crazy, it's important that you understand that you made us this way. (laughs) We are experts in worrying about you, and this affliction just gets worse with time and distance. We want you to go out and have amazing adventures in the world. We want you to love with abandon and to take calculated risks and to experience the rich fullness that comes with an imperfect life. We know that we cannot hold your hand through every difficult situation that will happen to you. But there will come a moment, sometime in the future, when something you very much wanted to have work out will not. Maybe it will be a job or a relationship or some other passion that you've sunk your whole heart into. And you will find yourself teetering on the edge of despair because every person has teetered on the edge of despair at least once in their lives. That's when you want to call the person in your life who would have spent a year trying to help you learn how to tell time. (laughs) Hopefully that's your parents. And I'm here to tell you on their behalf that we will always take your phone call. We will always be willing to help remind you of the strength that we know you have inside yourselves because we gave you some of ours. Whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. (laughs) Dwight Schrute. The entire efficacy of this incredibly useful piece of information hinges upon your ability to pick the right idiot. I wish there was a foolproof way to spot idiots, but counterintuitively some idiots are very smart. They can they can dazzle you with words and misdirection. They can get promoted above you at work. They can even be elected president. if you want to be successful in this world you have to develop your own idiot detection system as part of the responsibilities of being your commencement speaker i'm going to share mine sure i'm naturally suspicious of people who never saw the original star wars movies and even more cautious of people who loved the prequels and the sequels but i admit this is not a reliable idiot indicator no The best way to spot an idiot, look for the person who is cruel. Let me explain. When we see someone who doesn't look like us, or sound like us, or act like us, or love like us, or live like us, the first thought that crosses almost everyone's brain is rooted in either fear or judgment, or both. That's evolution. We survived as a species by being suspicious of things that we aren't familiar with. In order to be kind, we have to shut down that animal instinct and force our brain to travel a different pathway. Empathy and compassion are evolved states of being. They require the mental capacity to step past our most primal urges. This may be a surprising assessment because somewhere along the way in the last few years, our society has come to believe that weaponized cruelty is part of some well thought out master plan. Cruelty is seen by some as an adroit cudgel to gain power. Empathy and kindness are considered weak. Many important people look at the vulnerable only as rungs on a ladder to the top. I'm here to tell you that when someone's path through this world is marked with acts of cruelty, they have failed the first test of an advanced society. They never forced their animal brain to evolve past its first instinct. They never forged new mental pathways to overcome their own instinctual fears. And so, Their thinking and problem solving will lack the imagination and creativity that the kindest people have in spades. Over my many years in politics and business, I have found one thing to be universally true. The kindest person in the room is often the smartest. I knew exactly what to do, but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do. Michael Scott. When I finished college only a few short years ago, I assumed that there would be a moment very soon after graduation when the maturity of adulthood would start to lend sense to the deep mysteries of life. 35 years later, I'm still waiting for that to happen. And I hate to break it to you, but The real wisdom that comes with age is that you gain a greater appreciation for just how much you don't know. In February of 2020, I had just finished up a successful first year in office. We had passed almost every major initiative that I had campaigned on, and I was beginning to feel that I could overcome any obstacle that might lay ahead. But then came a deadly global pandemic, a crisis that most of us would have said, well, just weeks before, it began, that it was inconceivable. I've been asked many times what it was like to be governor during those early days of the pandemic. And all I can tell you is that it felt like waking up every day on a raft in the middle of the ocean, frantically searching the horizons for some land to anchor your feet on. I knew that my job was to minimize the damage this deadly disease was doing, but no one could guide me toward the absolute best way to do that. As Michael Scott said, I knew exactly what to do, but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do. I've had a few major crises visited upon me in my life, and the way forward each time has always been the same for me. When the world seems to be spinning and out of your control, inertia can set in. So the absolute best thing that you can do is start to make decisions, even small ones, Just get yourself moving. Pick something you can tackle and do it. Let your small decisions beget medium decisions, which will beget big decisions. Some of your decisions will be brilliant in retrospect. Others will be less so. If you make a mistake, apologize and move on. Talk to people you trust, and more importantly, listen to them. Be willing to change your mind when someone makes a good argument, but avoid that paralyzing inertia at all costs because not making a decision is making a decision, and you won't like how that turns out. Most importantly, when facing a crisis, pick one value that you're going to hold yourself accountable to, and then every time you face a new choice about what direction you should take, ask yourself which of the options in front of you is most consistent with that core guiding value. For me as governor during the pandemic, I decided I was going to do everything I could to save as many lives as possible. That was the most important thing. Everything else had to come second and that gave me clarity amid an absolute maelstrom. Now I know that for this class especially, COVID loomed very large. You were robbed of a chunk of a college experience you very much deserved. I'm sure then and now that it feels very unfair. We don't get a say in what part of history our lives drop in on. The Great Depression, World War II, the Cold War, the Vietnam War, the COVID pandemic. Every generation grows up scared or scarred by something. You are not unique in that regard. Here's the upside. Although you will face a great many challenges in life, most of them will pale in comparison to the challenge of facing a deadly global pandemic. COVID has made you stronger and gave you a unique set of armor. Use it well. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. (laughs) Andy Bernard. Most of us old guys dispensing advice as commencement speakers mistakenly will lead you to believe that everything good that happens every day you will uh, ever have for as long as you live happens in college or your 20s or in your early career. But don't get me wrong. These are great days. But I think a lot of the parents and grandparents who are here traveling back uh, half a century of life, looking at their lives, would tell you that there are plenty of things about being young that we don't miss at all. (laughs) The path of your life will have peaks and valleys and the good times are defined less by how old you are and more by the people you have around you. During the very first worst days, of the pandemic. There was a group of about 20 people who were part of our governor's office quarantine bubble. While most people stayed at home, my staff came into the state of Illinois building in person every day to keep the levers of government moving. We worked together for 14 hours a day, tracking down masks and gloves and testing supplies, debating mitigations, tracking data, preparing for daily press conferences. Sometimes we stared into the abyss together. Anyone who's been part of a group like that, good people working closely together in a crisis, will tell you that the bonds that you develop with the people in the foxhole with you are some of the strongest you will ever form in your life. One day in April of 2020, after weeks of punishing work, I decided to gather the small quarantine team together at the end of a long day for a much needed morale boost. The governor's office of the State of Illinois building uh, were on the 16th floor, overlooking an interior atrium. If you dropped something from the top floor where the governor's office was, it would land 16 floors down. So we ordered some food and we gathered everyone and we were the only people in the building. Someone put on some music and for a little bit of time, we shared some gallows humor. At some time, at some point in it, a staffer suggested that we all make paper airplanes out of copier paper and see who could successfully launch their plane off the 16th floor balcony and into the atrium and land it in the middle of the first floor lobby below. I remember how hard I laughed watching all these serious people, press secretaries and deputy governors and policy advisors try and construct the perfect paper airplane and get frustrated at their many failed launches. A lot of the worst days of COVID are still a blur to me. The stress and the worry that seemed to consume my life have just blended together. But I can remember with unusual clarity and warmth, that hour or so on the balcony of the 16th floor, flying paper airplanes with my battle-worn compatriots. So I assure you that your nostalgia for certain times in your life won't be defined by when the thing happened, but by who you were in it with. If there are people around you who love you, who can make you smile when times are hard, and make you laugh when the world seems lost, then you are in the good old days. Now, ultimately, The Office was a show about a bunch of imperfect people trying to find their way together. And if that's not a metaphor for life, then I don't know what is. You will find your way class of 2023. I beseech you to remember the lessons of the office. Be more substance than show. Set aside cruelty for kindness. Put one foot in front of the other, even when you don't know your way. And always, always try and appreciate the good old days when you're actually in them. And remember what Dwight Schrute said? You only live once? False. You live every day. You only die once. (laughs) Thank you all very much.
1: All right, that's Governor J.B. Pritzker, governor of Illinois Northwestern University just a couple weeks ago. That is the commencement speech that is taking the social media world by storm. thought I'd give it to you today. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Thank you for listening on whatever your preferred podcast platform is. We're back next week. Um, I think I'm going to do a full week, but it's the fourth. So who knows? We'll find out together. But you can usually catch this show weekdays, 5 to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday, on the America One Radio app or at AmericaOneRadio.com or wherever you podcast. So we'll see you next time. Have a great weekend.